Live with love, lay bare. It's not about this is my issue. It's kind of like getting down to the the, the root. The concept of love laid bare is about love. It's a platform that's kind of helping people. Real life. Did a few sentences to check. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Right, so let's get going. Hi, and you're through to another episode of Lovely Bear. I am, of course, your host, Dion. And today I am joined by the lovely Paris. Welcome, Paris. Hello. Thank you for having me. No, look, um, I contacted Paris about a month and a half ago. Yeah. And um, I I follow her on Instagram. She has amazing posts and um very kind of i kind of feel like very like feminine energy female empowerment type of post mm-hmm. you know and um i i think i came across your highlights yeah and you were talking about sexual harassment and i messaged paris and i was like i love your stuff you know i'd love to have you on the pod and she was like oh my god yeah and i was just <laughs> like yes kind of thing and here we are like six weeks later yeah paris has come all the way down from leicester guys so I'm I'm feeling really really blessed. I'm feeling really really blessed to actually have her here today. Oh, thank you. So no, thank you. This please. is my first ever podcast as well. I've never done a podcast. Oh really? Before. No, okay. So I'm really excited that it's on Lovely Bears. Well. Oh thank you. Well, um, we'll treat you very well. So, <laughs> um, so Paris, tell us a bit about you. What do you do? I currently work in a women's refuge as a support worker. Um, we have eight families in the refuge and it can be anything from sorting their housing out to their benefits they've all fled domestic violence um or forced marriage so we're currently yeah, supporting women in that sense okay so what it was what is a kind of typical case you'd say that you'd kind of come across in your work um they vary so massively um they've all fled some form of violence the their understanding of violence is very very different for each woman so we have to do a lot of work explaining what domestic violence is that it's not just typical hitting and punching and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff so there's a lot of kind of groundwork that we do in terms of educating and empowering women about what violence is what it looks like um and then it's kind of getting them to a stable place where they feel that they can then leave refuge and live independently again by mm-hmm. themselves. Because often they've had their finances controlled, they've not been yeah. mm-hmm. out of the house maybe for a few months, or they're really isolated, don't have any friends, their self-esteem is so low. It can be something as simple as like making a phone call to sort their bills out, they really, yeah. really struggle with. So it's all of that kind of building up work, and it can take anywhere like to six months to a year. Wow. So could you give us an example of like the other different types of abuses that women yeah so you've got um obviously physical violence is something that people mainly go to all the time when you think of domestic violence but you also have um coercive control psychological and mental abuse sexual abuse financial abuse Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's varying, and it doesn't always have to be intimate partner. It can be another family member. It can be friends. Okay. So when we're talking about financial abuse, it could be an old lady that's being financially abused from like a grandchild or something, and okay. they're taking advantage of the fact that they don't know how much money they've got in their account. So, so, so you deal with those types of mm, women as well. Yeah. Oh wow. And so they don't often come to refuge. That can be more like phone based or community based. Okay. But yeah, it's wow. the whole spectrum. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about um, 
sexual harassment because that's mm. the that's the kind of thing that um sparked me to contact you mm-hmm. so um what would you say your experiences have been with that i feel like all women are sexually harassed on a daily or weekly basis but it's just so minimized and so normalized that we don't even realize it sometimes mm-hmm. um I think over the summer, it got to the point where I was saying, I'm going to get myself a potato gun. You know, the old potato shooters yeah. that they put in. Uh-huh. And I was like, and the next man that sexually harasses me or cat calls me in the street, I'm going to be shooting him with a potato gun because you get so frustrated yeah. at the constant kind of like cat calling. Cat I think cat calling is one of like my biggest kind of pet peeves because women kind of just ignore it because they feel so intimidated mm-hmm. or they don't understand how like controlling and abusive catcalling is yeah. or how it makes mm-hmm. you feel um so yeah i think that's something that really really irritates me catcalling so what would you say your kind of your worst experience of say of mm. sexual harassment kind of been like did you ever did you ever feel like you couldn't almost defend yourself or kind of stop it from happening essentially um, in terms of like catcalling and like people that I don't know in a physical way, no. But in terms of like verbal, I think that's definitely something you can't like really control. Mm-hmm. And it can go from being, "Hi, babe, how's you? How are you? How's you? Like, what's your number? All of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. That's quite not like not nice, but like comes across as yeah. quite nice. Mm-hmm. To when you're ignoring it, it can then become abusive. So it's fine. Are you allowed to swear? yeah yeah yeah, 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 censoring myself (laughs) then it's like fine fuck you you're a bitch you're a hoe you're this you're that i didn't want your number anyway Anyway. and then it's Mm. yeah so even things down to like the way you look or like being called like a half breed or something like it even half breed yeah this one guy he was shouting at me in the street and he was like asking for my number and I was just ignoring it and he was like fine fuck you you're a half breed anyway and was like getting really angry at me and i was like sometimes sometimes I will go back and I'll be like no this is not right don't speak to me like that and other times you're just so tired and so exhausted you just ignore it Mm. and it's yeah I guess if there's like a group of people you're probably less likely to say something compared to if it's just like one or two two Mm. wow yeah but it's it's can change so quick can't it like from probably from your own experiences as well it can go from being like nice and I say nice like you know in inverted inver- yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. to then like really really abusive and horrible I remember um this was years ago I was in ministry um with club ministry in um, London and I was with my other half at the time and his group of friends um but I can't remember why we kind of got separated mm. but they went far they were just over there and I was with one of his friends kind of just standing up and this guy came up to me and he was like yeah you know hi like yeah can I get your number kind of thing yeah and I was a bit like no yeah but I wasn't I was polite like I'm, I've always been polite so I was like you know I'm here with my boyfriend mm-hmm. kind of thing whatever and he's like yeah yeah whatever just give me your number in it and I was like so my partner's friend was standing next to me mm-hmm. and was literally acting like he couldn't see what was going on. Oh my God. And I was a bit like, are you just going to leave me hanging yeah. like this kind of thing? Yeah. And so the guy was like, oh yeah, you know, like give me your number, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, but I've just told you that I'm here with my boyfriend. So. Yeah. And he literally came up in my face and was like, you're not even nice anyway. <laughs> now, <sighs> the thing is, 
I wanted to react with yeah. anger, mm-hmm. but bear in mind we are in a club in London, mm-hmm. and if anything was to kick, like it, it's just not worth the hassle. No, it's not because if anything was to kick off, I don't know who he's here with. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's a big group of guys that you know I'm there with my partner, and you know what male ego is like. Yeah. A little few words can then turn into someone potentially dying. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just not even worth it. Yeah. But I think at the same time, men need to, um, men need to understand that, you know, how you approach women can sometimes be threatening, even mm-hmm. if you don't think it is. Do yeah. you understand what mm-hmm. I mean? You don't, you don't understand. You don't know where this woman has come from. You don't know what she's been through. You yeah. don't know, you know, why people react the way they do. And I think a lot of the time as well. Um, when women do react adversely towards men sometimes, it's because another man has done something to make them get their backs up yeah, straight away. definitely. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's like a... There's like a hidden bro code that... You know, like he said, he was just ignoring the fact that that was even going on and was mm-hmm. just kind of playing oblivious to it. I've had a similar experience where I was in a club with my one of my ex-partners and a guy had walked past me and slapped me on the ass, and I'd turned around and was, I was really, really angry. I was like, don't touch me. This is my mm-hmm. personal space. You've got no right to just touch my body. I'm not a piece of meat that mm-hmm. you can just grab at in a club just because I'm in a club. You think that that justifies you being able yeah. to grab at me. And my boyfriend had come over and said, you know, what's going on? And I'd said, this is what had happened. I really wanted him to kind of stay out of it at that point, but he kind of overstepped and was like, no, you're my girlfriend. Like, played the whole protective thing. Did that not annoy you a bit? It did annoy me. I was just like, I'm handling this myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, what annoyed me more was that they'd then taken the argument outside. We all ended up getting kicked out of the club because of that. We went outside, and two minutes later, he turned around and said, oh, it's my friend, don't worry about it, he's just drunk. And I was like, okay, so not only are you going to, like overstep the mark and not allow me to speak for myself like you could have just kind of floated around in the background and made sure that I was okay mm-hmm. you're then gonna say it's okay because he's your friend and that's that like secret bro code like they'll you know it's fine he's my friend don't worry about it he didn't mean it instead of you're out of order like you shouldn't have touched her when she yeah. didn't ask for you to or give you consent to okay so the story that I told you off here I'll tell the listeners um because I, I didn't even tell you the mm. full thing, actually. So I was just um, saying to Paris, actually, um, I went to a festival a couple of years ago. Um, I was there with my husband and our usual kind of festival crew. There was this guy um, that I noticed slapped this girl's bum really, really hard. Like, it was so hard, it was disrespectful. And she kind of turned around and kind of giggled. Now, 51st State, um, you know, in terms of festival-wise, and like in terms of, like, um, the clientele, like because it's kind of house, old school garage, kind of soul music, the age is is, is old. Like, it's mm. not a young festival kind yeah. of thing. So for me, like, I don't even think that... The, that behaviour is not acceptable anyway, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that from someone in their 30 pluses, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. I wouldn't expect it. Um, anyway, so he was making eyes with me. He was making eyes. He looked at me, and I was kind of like, look, pfft, mate. So I just kind of made myself a bit scarce. I came across him again about 10 minutes later... Um, he was looking at me again and was kind of like dancing towards me. So I kind of like scurried out the way. Yeah. Um, and I think I was dancing as I turned, like he slapped my bum literally with every single force of his, like, and it actually, it hurt so badly. Mm. So as soon as he did it, like my instant reaction at the time was, 
literally I was furious mm. I was so angry mm-hmm. like I was literally boiling red and as I spun around I kind of leaned back and I used all of my might and I pushed him so hard in his chest that he kind of went flying now he then tried to come for me oh. yeah I don't know what I don't I don't know what his yeah. plan was to do but mm-hmm. it's like his ego was now bruised yeah but how dare you touch me kind of thing. Yeah. So then what happened is my husband jumped in and was like, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. So when he stepped in like you, I was so, I was annoyed because I was like, let me handle it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. if he wants to come for me, yeah. then yeah. I mean, he might win. Yeah. But it's not the point. Yeah. It's the principle. <laughs> yeah. At least, do you know what I mean? Yeah. At least let me kind of try and stand up for myself. So they're in this kind of, I don't even know what they're saying. It's just like, mm-hmm. um, then security come over and calm it down. And then do you know what the guy says to my husband? What? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I didn't realise that was your girl. So if it wasn't your girl, then it would then, have been then it's, acceptable. Then it's okay. Yeah, and you... I, I think that's the thing that it's annoying, like when, when like possibly both of us, but when I'm saying like, I was annoyed that he stepped in for me. It wasn't the fact that he stepped in, because maybe I would have been mad if he hadn't have stepped in. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that situation would have yeah. been like. It's not the fact that you stepped in. It's the fact that you're seen as more worthy of respect from that male because you're another yes. male. Mm-hmm. And then if this, if that continues to happen all the time, we're never going to move away from no. from that. And mm. women are never going to be able to speak for themselves and yeah. be respected on the same level. Yeah. It's like if a guy asks you, can I have your number? Can I have your number? You say, no, I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested is not enough. It has mm. to be, no, I'm not interested. I be- have a man. Yeah, because. Yeah. yeah. So you'll respect this invisible man that you don't even mm-hmm. see. But when I'm just saying, no, I'm not interested, it's not enough. And it's there's always mm. excuses. What, have you got a man? Doesn't he allow you to have friends? I just don't like it. Yeah, I just don't want you to have my number. Yeah. That's the end of it. Like, we, I think as women, we always have to justify ourselves. It always has to be a good enough explanation mm-hmm. for why. We have to manage internally that anger, the confusion, the trauma, and it all gets stored in other places in our bodies, and it's it's not healthy for for women to do that. Let's talk about that, about storing in other places. Yeah, so there's a, there's quite a lot of research that shows that women store trauma in like their hips and in their cervix. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of research out at the moment, and there's. Um, I speak quite a lot about like using yoni eggs and ones oh, which yes, you I've can got, get. I've got a yoni egg, yeah. I've got a rose quartz one. Yes, yeah. So rose quartz. So like I have a obs- black obsidian one, so you can get them in different. Um, you, got, you can get black obsidian mm, ones. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah, and just being able to use them to kind of release trauma, mm-hmm. and I think like one of the things we don't talk about as women is like pleasure after trauma, and that's something that I'm very, very interested in for other women that I'm working with as well. Because um, I think you go through so much trauma and then you don't learn to experience pleasure again after okay, that. After so that. Mm. things like yoni eggs and stuff like that, it can help you release that trauma in different ways. Um, so, okay, for so for someone who's listening who doesn't know what a yoni egg is, um, how how what is it, what would they do with it and how would they release the trauma? They are so you can you can buy kind of like general ones from like and summers they're usually plastic but they're not really yoni eggs they're more to do like kegels so to keep your kind of like health and stuff and keep all of the muscles tight so especially after like childbirth you'll do like your kegels mm-hmm. and pelvic floor exercises if you get yoni eggs they're kind of seen as more for healing and trauma because mm-hmm. of 
the material that they're made out of so you can order you usually get sets of three three work from Mm -hmm. the biggest one and go down to the smallest so you can do the usual kind of like pelvic floor training with them as well but even just holding that in in your space and holding the intention of releasing trauma into that Mm -hmm. can work really well and that's why you have them in different crystals so like rose quartz or black obsidian Mm because they all have different healing properties so okay so um so what so what exactly would someone have to do with it like so someone who probably isn't used to meditating or Mm. even understands the power yeah you know would you be able to kind of explain like yeah i mean what would you do what would you do with your i think it's more about intention so i'm i'm not trained in like any crystal therapy Mm -hmm. or healing but from what i kind of understand and what reading i've done i think it's more about intention when you're working with any kind of crystals even if they are yoni eggs so you know you're putting something inside your body and then you're trying to release that trauma and you the kind of understanding that that crystal will have a vibrational property that can then help you release that mm-hmm. is my kind of understanding so more about the intention behind it yeah um <clears throat> the reason why i inquired about that is because you know lovely bit is all about you know releasing mm. your emotional traumas mm-hmm. and i i always want to kind of find solutions for people to kind of I'm very big on you know therapy and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but I'm always very interested in in different different avenues you know therapy doesn't necessarily always work for everyone and sometimes it does take time for people to kind of get Mm. to that point so if someone can start somewhere yeah you know um so what I'll do guys I will um under the resources page I will try and find a link um of where you can maybe purchase some yoni eggs with um some information about you know what you can kind of do um to help release any kind of you know traumas so you say traumas can be stored in your hips and back yeah, and stuff like that yeah hips back and your cervix it's like the there's a really good book I'm, i don't know the name of it right now but i will send it to you so you can add it to the resources and it's mm-hmm. all about embodiment and where we store trauma and like trauma embodiment so i'll send that over to you so you can have a look at that oh, as well wow. okay. so it's really interesting because you know you, you store tension in tension your, shoulders your shoulders when you're stressed yes. uh-huh. but like women will store a lot of like sexual abuse and physical abuse in their hips and in their cervix so that's okay, why so that makes sense then so for women who have been say for example maybe sexually abused mm-hmm. um what is it called is it, is it vaginismus like the spasms yeah. yeah and it's very difficult for like impossible for them to have intercourse because the muscles are literally like yeah forced short forced, mm. yeah so that makes sense yeah so it's 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 really really interesting and cervical orgasms for women that have had trauma can be really really painful so once you start to work through that trauma because you've got to think something's touching that surface it can Mm. then it can be really painful so once you've worked through a lot of that trauma that it can then become pleasurable but you've got to get to that point where where you can do that so whilst we're on that i'm kind of thinking because i see like a lot of especially on social media you um there'll be like loads of like polls and stuff like that or even like in magazines for Mm. example and um a lot of women struggle to have orgasms Mm -hmm. and i'm always really shocked by the the disparity between women who can and women who Mm -hmm. can't Mm -hmm. or have very very few yeah but now that we're speaking i'm just wondering is it because of some type of trauma 
Yeah, it could be. So I um, experienced sexual trauma when I was 13. I was raped by my cousin's boyfriend. And ever since then, up until probably the last six years, I hated sex. Absolutely hated it. It was painful. It was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It was traumatic I could disassociate during sex I could be having I was with a long-term partner for nine years after that as well so it wasn't like I was experiencing sex with different people it Mm -hmm. was someone I was very comfortable with was in a long-term relationship and I still hated the thought of him coming near me or touching me or anything and it was just really really difficult the the build-up to orgasm was really horrible I felt really kind of uncomfortable with it it felt dirty it felt disgusting and I could never really understand why I'd never linked the two, the two together the two together um it was something that I never spoke about up until I was about 21 so it took me about 10 years or so yeah 23 actually yeah it took me about 10 years to actually even open up about it and say to people this is what had happened and it would literally get stuck like in my throat it'd be on the edge of my tongue and I'd want to say like this has happened to me and this is why I'm behaving Mm. like this and I could remember bits going in and out drifting in and out but never really understood the full Mm. picture and because I was smoking I blamed myself for it it was it was always my fault. I carried that guilt with me for so long. It was my fault because I went there. It was my fault because I was smoking. It was my fault because, just because it was. It was, yeah. Um, so that guilt then didn't allow me to tell anybody. And at that age, it's it was easy for me to keep secrets, you know. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're a teenager, so that's, yeah. you're kind of built that way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so that was my first ever experience of sex, and it was so traumatic. Oh, wow and I was 13 and it was just disgusting and I felt disgusting I just buried it so so deep inside of me so I went to therapy before but I had to go to hypnotherapy because I literally knew I could not speak about it at all I just couldn't go into any depth with it so Mm -hmm. I told the therapist the first time when I went there this is why I'm seeking some kind of treatment and I used to drive to Birmingham so I live in Leicester Mm -hmm. Birmingham's like an hour away I used to drive there um, have this therapy done and then I'd drive home and like cry the whole way home but I would literally just tell my friends that I was like visiting a friend in Birmingham um so what what made what made you actually pluck up the courage to go to therapy in the first place I think I just had enough I'd had enough of not enjoying any kind of sex I'd had enough of feeling so worn down and tired with like carrying that burden Mm -hmm. believing that it was my fault and something just clicked in me that I had to go and see someone and I had to talk about it Mm -hmm. so I could I knew I couldn't do that through normal talking counseling like talking therapy straight away so that's why I reached out to this woman who she dealt with um trauma and post-traumatic stress and nightmares and that's what I was suffering from mostly it was nightmares and night tremors so that's what had made me go to her but I came across her in a really strange way I was meditating and I'd seen this name Louise and I'd seen the area where she was didn't have a clue what it was okay I googled Louise and then the area and the first thing that came up was a therapist that dealt with nightmares and I was like that's it I have to have to go on that journey now so 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 your so your nightmares then Mm -hmm. because that's something that we've not spoken about on Lovely Bear actually um so what kind of nightmares were you experiencing it was always me running from someone and I didn't always have to know who that person was or be Mm -hmm. able to see it it was always just a feeling of running like being chased Mm -hmm. um 
and they were like those kind of nightmares where you can't always understand you I couldn't wake up and tell you like this is exactly the what? nightmare that I had right, had okay. but it was just a feeling, feeling. of constantly being mm. chased and running so I guess that was me running away from dealing with this yeah trauma so did did this have an effect on you know like your schooling and stuff like that and your relationships maybe after then yeah I think my relationships with like my so the backstory to the, the the day when that happened, my mum was on a night shift and she's a midwife and my dad was looking after us and I have a really bad relationship with my dad anyway. Okay. And I think it kind of just strengthened that thing of like, he didn't protect me, he didn't look after me. I was 13, I then couldn't go home and tell him mm-hmm. and my mum was at work. So I think it kind of reconfirmed a lot of things that had been going on in childhood way before that yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and my relationship with my cousin... She actually found out about it through somebody else, which meant that he told someone and then told her. They told her. He told someone? He told someone and then told her. So he told someone that he raped you? Yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, even after that situation had happened, because he lived locally to me, I'd seen him out locally from like since that situation as oh, well, wow. and he'd called me out in the street, drove past me really slow, followed me home. It's like that it didn't just stop then, and that's what a lot of these women are going through, whether it's nightmares and traumas, or whether you're still seeing the person who's a perpetrator, or whether you're in a domestic violence relationship, and I don't know, you might have children with them, and you're still seeing that person. Like mm. The violence doesn't just stop when the act stops, and it, that can go even down to cat calling you know it doesn't yeah. it can be as we can minimize cat calling and minimize all of these things like being slapped on the bone being groped on the train mm. they have long lasting effects on women and i think there's a lot more work to still be done absolutely so can we can we go back to your hypnotherapy yeah so um cuz i think that's something that a lot of people could actually explore before mm. actually going to therapy. Yeah. It, it didn't even... Whenever I think of hypnotherapy, I think of, like, people that want to stop smoking. Mm. Um, do, do you know what I mean? Kind of, like, maybe lifestyle changes yeah. more so than anything else. So what kind of things did she kind of do in your sessions then? So the first session, you do actually have to tell her why you're seeking... Why you why you there? Why are you seeking therapy in the first mm. place? So that's when we'd had that initial conversation, and then she'd said, you know, we don't ever have to discuss this again. Now I've got an understanding of what it is. We can just work through mm-hmm. different things. So each week it would be something around guilt, something around fear, something around shame, and she would work through different scenarios. So I think one of them was you're in a hot air balloon, you're this high up, and she'll talk you through it. I want you to put all of your fears in this bag, and now you're going to release the bag and throw it over. Don't you see how much lighter you feel? Don't you see how much better you feel? And it'd be stuff like that, like visualisations that you could then do at home as well. So you don't necessarily have to talk about the issue again. It's just you know what fears you've got. You don't have to say them out loud to her. Yeah. You just know that that's what you're visualising, that you're letting go of all of that stuff. So how many sessions did you have with her? I think I had about five sessions. Okay. And then, so when you finished with her then, did you go straight on to... No, once I'd finished with her, I was still very much in a place of, I don't have a voice, I can't speak about this. And it wasn't until I'd gone to counselling because my uncle had passed away. It wasn't until I'd gone for that that then it reopened this kind kind of worms of like, I need to talk about this, I need to get it off my chest and say something 
and the kind of work that I'm in as well I find it difficult asking these women to share all of these experiences knowing that I still couldn't do that myself Mm. like how was I being an advocate for other women and I still couldn't advocate for myself I still couldn't say you weren't speaking your own truth yeah so I think that was a massive kind of part of my journey and I think that's you know my my Instagram page is very topical in terms of like sex and sexual pleasure for women and it can I think on the um, bio it says my page is like a safe space for women and not for yes. men to mm-hmm. move to me like fools yeah. like mm-hmm. just because I'm talking about sex it does not mean I'm gonna have sex with you it just means that I want to talk, talk about, about sex it, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I think being able to do that being able to move away from sex as trauma and move to sex as pleasure you can own your own sexual pleasure was like a massive shift in my mindset and in my own healing journey as well so mm-hmm. I think if anything that's what my page I would like to get women Across, to understand yeah okay so there's so many questions I'm asking I'm just like <laughs> um okay so okay let me ask you the relationship question mm-hmm. first so let me try and pin this other question mm-hmm. so so after that happened then so you were 13 how how were you in relationships? So after then, if men approached you, well, say men. Yeah. But I guess men probably did approach you when you were 13 anyway. Yeah. Um, When you were approached by men, boys or whatever, mm-hmm. what have you, um, did you feel scared initially? Did it take a while for you to kind of like warm up to... I think initially it did, but within probably two or three months, I was with my ex-partner that I was with for nine years Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even that relationship it wasn't until I'd left that relationship so I was 21 when we'd split up I'd just finished university and I wanted to go on to do a postgraduate and he didn't want me to and that was one of the major reasons why we'd split up but even that relationship within itself was very very controlling and I hadn't recognized any of the signs until I'd gone to a lecture on coercive control And I sat there and I'd gone absolutely cold and I thought, I was in a relationship like that for nine Nine years years and and I didn't even realise. And then that brings up a whole nother kind of thing of anger because I was looking to my mum then, why did you not question why this age because he was 18 as well he was the same age as my cousin I'd always hung around with people that was older Older, right Mm. I was then looking at my mum like why did you still let, let me date somebody that was 18 when I was 13 I know it's five years, but five five years is a big... That, you know, God, yeah, you're right. Because I... It's funny, because I remember my my first real boyfriend, he was 19 and I was 15. Mm. And, you know, like, at at the time, when you're in it, you're like, well, yeah, I'm grown. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But, like... You're 19, 19, like you're a man. Like I remember he, when I was, when I was in school, he was in college yeah. in his like last year and he was studying to um, be a, um, a construction project manager. And yeah, like, I mean, I've got a daughter now and I'm mm. like, there is no way you could come and tell me that you're dating a 19 year old. Yeah. Like what, what, what does someone over the age of 18 want? with someone so young you know yeah and you're so vulnerable and you're so easy to persuade with things you're so impressionable Mm. like 
and then that creates your ideas of what you think love is and what you think relationships are Mm -hmm. and then when that ends and breaks down and you realize that that's not the way it should be you're then left with all this work to do like emotion work and kind of reframing things in your mind and stuff that you shouldn't really be having to do in that kind of time period of your life because you're a teenager Mm -hmm. you know you're supposed to just be kind of just living life and yeah. not have any of those kind of emotional burdens. Mm. I mean, unfortunately, most people do go through some kind of stuff, but, you know, yeah. wow. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about off-air. We were talking about that girl that had been slapped on the bomb and how she'd kind of giggled, giggled a little bit. And it goes back to that kind of thing of, if we're not being sexually harassed, we, we don't think we're worthy of being, oh. you know, we're not... Me, <laughs> we're not we're not attractive we're not wanted we're not this we're not that I remember going out to clubs with my friends and my friends would always have different men on them and I'd be there with like I've got a really naturally kind of like what do they call it resting bitch, bitch face, face yeah. I can be really like mm. stush and unapproachable mm. when I need when I need to be and being in clubs was one of those environments where I did feel like I needed to be like that yes and I would always go home and say to my mom you know oh all these men want my friends and none of them want me and actually what I'm saying is all these men are sexually harassing, harassing my, my friends, friends and they're, and they're not, not sexually harassing, harassing me. me. Why? Yeah. <laughs> like why why do we cry out as women to be sexually harassed or catcalled or mm. why does that boost our confidence yeah. when it really it's just degrading us and taking yeah. away our self worth? Why, why do we why do we feel valued because a man yeah, it's very it's true. It's hundred percent. Yeah. So when we've got nineteen year olds dating us as thirteen or 15 I thought I was the shit yeah you like... <laughs> no honestly like he he would you know I remember he got his first job like as a kind of um what do they call it oh what do they call it uh you know when you're when you leave college and you do that thing, Apprent- apprenticeship apprenticeship he got an apprenticeship and I remember his salary was 12 and a half thousand pounds a mm-hmm. year so as a 15 year old I was like oh my god <laughs> Twelve and a half thousand, you know. And he would buy me trainers, mm-hmm. you know, jewelry, yeah. um, you know, night jackets because that was a thing back then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I thought I was the yeah. shit, mm-hmm. but actually, you agree with me? Yeah, it is. No, it's... but do you know what I mean yeah. though? It is, and we do, we minimise it so much, and then we see things in the press, like with R. Kelly and him dating, yeah. and then we, we can scream and shout, shout about, about it. it, it's going on on our doorsteps, mm-hmm. like... It's the, going on in your house, yeah. you know, and the thing is, like, now that I'm talking about it, my dad was not happy, mm. like, literally, and my and my mum was more like, oh, you know, and I don't know if it's maybe because I was quite mature, mm-hmm. Yeah. but then even so, it's like... No, yeah. it's not. It's just not right. Yeah. That's what my mum had said to me when I'd asked her, you know, I was 13, how could you let that happen? She said, you weren't like all 13-year-olds. Well, and I was thinking, yeah, because I'd been through X, Y and Z mm. beforehand. Or, you know, some some girls do mature a lot older. That still doesn't mean that they should be exposed to all of this other stuff. Yeah. So I think sometimes it makes me wonder if the age of consent for sex is there for a good reason because before when I was 15 I used to think well it doesn't make sense why you can't have sex until you're 16 but now I think actually are you emotionally intelligent Intelligent enough enough to have sex before that and to be honest I feel like 65% of the people are not emotionally intelligent enough even even into adulthood even into their 30s 40s 50s 60s people are still not emotionally intelligent so much less you know 
children I think whilst we're on this topic about the kind of age difference you know I've spoken to quite a few men and again I'm waiting for um, a man to kind of come on and talk about in depth I mean um I interviewed Gwenton slowly, I mentioned him off air, mm-hmm. and he did kind of touch on um, the fact that he, other than his sister sexually abusing him when he was five, um, when he was 16, he was dating this 30-plus-year-old mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made a soundbite out of what he said, actually, and he was like, you know, as a man, you can't tell anyone, like, and complain about it that... Yeah you know a woman mm-hmm. has made you do things yeah that you weren't ready to do yeah and it's like i've i've spoken to a few men over the years who said that you know they lost their virginities at you know silly ages yeah. to older women yeah and but it's weird it's like in in one breath it's almost like they realize it isn't right mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like yeah you know, and when I kind of observe them and kind of their relationships, they have very messed up relationships mm, with women, mm. but they're not able to actually connect the dots together. Yeah. So if anyone is listening to this podcast, by the way, I am looking for um, a man actually who is willing to talk about um, this topic, actually, because it does work both ways. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it happens more often than we than we realize. Yeah. Like I, I'm I always I, I always get called biased when mm-hmm. I'm when I'm doing these topics because people feel like I tend to side f- with women. Yeah, and I do. I'm not gonna lie. I do yeah. because I'm a woman, kind of thing. But then I also do recognize that you know the men have their issues too at the same yeah. time. But um, but yeah, love, laid, bare. Okay, so after so after that relationship, mm-hmm. after that relationship broke down, then the nine year one. Um, so he never knew what happened to you then. He, I did tell him afterwards because the confusion and the conflict that was going on with me and my cousin, he could pick up on the fact that our relationship was breaking down. Okay. So I had discussed it with him, but again, it was just this has happened. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And then we didn't actually speak about it again. Okay. From there, so so. So when so when that relationship broke down, so you had just finished uni, he yeah. didn't want you to do your postgraduate. So how how were your relationships after that then? They've been so much better since then because I've I just feel much more in control and like have a such a better understanding of um, not even just coercive control, but just relationships and just myself. I have a better understanding of myself because mm. I've been to counselling and kind of worked through that trauma. So they are they're, they're better. <laughs> I'm not in a relationship at the moment, but yeah. they are. Yeah, they are better. So how long um, were you in therapy for? I am still going to counselling now. Good. Yeah, I'm still going to counselling now. I don't use it as much for kind of therapy, but just kind of everyday stuff. And because my work is still really heavy mm-hmm. um, emotionally, it can trigger different things in me that maybe I've not looked at before. Um, and I think we frame counselling as like you need to be depressed or be in a mess to go to no. counselling and it's like going to the gym it's like yeah it is it's just mm. retraining my brain I enjoy learning different things about myself and kind of piecing the dots together from childhood and mm-hmm. kind of forming stronger relationships so yeah I'm still still go counselling now do you think that if your relationship with your dad 
was stronger, mm-hmm. do you think it would have taken you as long to kind of... No, I don't think it would have, because I think I would have had some kind of sense of male security and just mm-hmm. something to kind of fall back on and feel comforted by and understood by but because that was never there mm-hmm. um i think it was a lot more difficult because the one person that's kind of meant to be there as a man isn't so it's it kind of like sets you up then doesn't it mm-hmm. so how did your mum react when you told her what happened she was devastated that i hadn't told her um and really pushed for me to go to the police and press charges and that was just something that was just not on the agenda I just didn't want to do it I'd left it so long as well not that you that you can't report at any time but I'd left it so long um I at work I see women go to court all the time and lose cases when there's clear evidence when they've got DNA evidence and they're still losing cases and oh really yeah we have a really really poor court system for women legal system for women so even down to the perpetrators being able to question women at court hearings question them themselves really yeah and it's just i just did not i wasn't in a place to go through that mentally i'd kind of worked through it myself i'd put it behind Mm. he'd been in jail before i didn't you know in my head i was like that's not going to make any difference to him or Mm. to his life so it wasn't something that I pursued and you see that a lot with women you know they people think that if you've been a victim of something like that you should definitely report it and there's a lot of women that that don't want to report it and you can see the reasons why. yeah you can see the reasons why and I think as well then that brings up a whole kind of like other set of guilt and fear then and you feel guilty that you've mm. not reported it and what if that happens to another woman and then you're carrying yeah, that around, around with you as well, as well and yeah. yeah it's I think it, it just doesn't end it's constantly something else something to think else. about so do you know where he is now have you seen him i haven't got a clue where he was the he was dating one of my friend's sisters and i had massive conflicts of, over that of whether i should say something or or not say anything about it mm-hmm. um i chose not to just because i didn't know the friend very well or the sister right okay um and looking back on that I probably should have there's definitely times where I kind of think oh you should have just said it and they could have done what they wanted with that information Mm. um but then you have to come to a point where you're like you're not responsible for you can't be responsible for absolutely everything and everybody yeah Mm. so what do you so you you've done hypnotherapy you're still doing counseling but you're not necessarily doing it for that anymore Mm -hmm. um do you still get any flashbacks do you no not so much and I don't I've learned to not disassociate I'm very much like more grounded feel a lot more in control um so yeah it's it's been a journey but Mm. it's I'm so glad that I just kind of got the courage to do that even though it was 10 years later I'm just Mm. you know you that turning point can come at any point and I don't think you should kind of like completely kind of lose sight of that being a possibility like you can heal from from trauma like that so what would your kind of advice be to um someone who maybe 10 15 years ago went through something Mm. similar um if they were kind of sitting where i am now what would you what would you say to them 
none of it was your fault, firstly, none of it was your fault, so don't carry that around with you, because a lot of that guilt and fear and shame will stop you from seeking any kind of help or support that you need, Mm -hmm. Um, and you can move on from it, you can be happy, you can, I wouldn't say forget, because I don't think you ever do forget, I think it shapes your identity, it shapes who you are, It's it's shaped my passions massively about women and women's kind of safety and women's health and stuff like that it's mm-hmm. probably been a really big trigger into that kind of line of work for me um but you know there's always always positive things that we can kind of move on to after stuff like that mm. happens so do you think that's why you've ended up working for women's yeah, refuge yeah definitely it was I was would have probably been interested in it, but maybe not as passionate mm-hmm. about it. And you find that with most women's refuge workers, they've been through some kind of domestic violence or some kind of trauma. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I kind of feel like I feel like you have a lot more to say. I don't know. <laughs> no, do you know what it is? I I feel I feel like I feel like you've. I feel like you've got some real gems that you're just not sharing. Oh. <laughs> no, no, honestly, I do. I okay. feel like... I feel like you... Um, like, I feel like you're being quite um, restricted in, like... What you do holistically. Okay. Like, like you said, like, you said, like, oh, yeah, I meditate briefly. Yeah. Said, like, yeah, I use a bit of crystal, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's more. Yeah, holistically, I yeah, I'd go to yoga. I have a large like collection of crystals that I kind of draw upon. Um, I think I feel like my kind of spiritual journey, in if you want to call it a spiritual journey, came very much at the same time as that kind of like healing did. So mm. I kind of like hit twenty one, broke up with this guy that I'd been with for nine years. I'd gone to the Gambia for some work with the university and then okay. um, became vegan straight away, like once I'd gone, come back. Oh, wow. Okay. And it kind of accelerated everything. I kind of just went on this mad kind of need to like heal and mm-hmm. it was kind of uncontrollable. It was just, I was dipping in and out of every kind of different thing that I could possibly do if it was readings or if it was sound baths or... I love sound baths. So do I. They're so good. So yeah, literally... I'd just gone on a quest for, like, all of this stuff. Mm. And even though I love all of that and it's very, very empowering and you learn a lot about yourself and it can ground you and make you feel very, very safe, there still was something missing and it was the fact that I hadn't voiced it, I hadn't said it, I hadn't Mm -hmm. gone to counselling and done that really hard stuff. Yeah, I think you can get quite lost in that spiritual stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like I needed to do both at the same time. And get the balance right. Get the balance right, yeah. Yeah. But I think you don't, you know, you don't through, you have to keep talking about different things. And it's only through conversation that all of us learn off each other and Mm. learn through different experiences. And yeah, I think most women would have experienced some form of coercive control or some form of harassment that they've just not voiced or spoke about. Um, And the more educated we are as women about our bodies and about different types of things the more we can be in control of those situations Mm. so when I was with that partner he'd often do things like check my underwear out of the basket sorry he would take my underwear out of the basket and be like uh who have you been with today 
what yeah there's like marks in your underwear who have you been with now as a 13 year old I would have been like really thrown off by that didn't really understand my body very well it wasn't until I'd got much older probably up until like maybe two years ago and I was having a conversation with one of my friends and she'd said if you could tell your like younger self anything what would it be and like what kind of things would you tell your daughter if you had one and how would you educate women and stuff and I always say like women don't speak about their bodies enough we speak about periods but that's it yeah but that's it we don't speak about the fact that you will have discharge your discharge will change throughout your cycle depending on how fertile you are Mm -hmm. and him being controlling it seeing that as you was sexually either sexually active with someone or you was turned on or i at at that age i didn't know that that was discharge and that it was natural for every woman to have that and you know, we taint these words with so much dirt, like mm. periods and discharge. Mm. Like they they sound horrible to say at that yes, age. Yeah. Like who true. wants yeah. to talk about discharge when they're th- like you just don't. Yeah. It don't sound nice mm. to talk about. Had my mum have had those conversations with me and said, "This is how your body works. This is what happens," I could have come back in that conversation with him and said, "Actually, you're really uneducated. This is what women's bodies do." Do yeah. Instead, that became a source of control for him because I was unaware of that as well so it's things like that I think if we keep talking to girls about and boys as well but if we keep educating women about that mm. we can really change yeah, oh my God, I can't. Oh, sorry I'm still I'm still, <laughs> I'm still thrown that he's even even said that and that stuff like that would happen like on like literally a weekly basis like checking of your clothes checking of your underwear like in my head, I didn't see that as control. I didn't see that as abuse. I didn't see that as any form of like violence or domestic kind of. Sorry, I'm just like sorry. I'm just sorry. I've just okay. That I've I've not, I've not heard. The only thing I think similar, something similar I've heard is um, a friend once said to me that her partner came in. <laughs> And he smelt her vagina mm. and he was like, blew up. <laughs> the vagina smells different today. He's been, he's been sleeping with blah, blah, blah. But she laughed it off. Like, yeah. Like they didn't have any like violence with her like that in the relationship. Yeah. But she was just like, but that's how it smells. Like I don't know what you, what you want me to kind of, kind of do. Do you know what I mean? He was mm. like, no, you've been with somebody, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I was thinking, is this guy crazy? Like, mm. But then, actually, again, it just goes to show how uneducated people are. And, yeah. not, and not even just men. Even women are yeah. very uneducated about yeah. their bodies. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. God. Wow. But we don't have these conversations, no, do we? Don't. We just... Even with women, like women speaking to yeah. women about it, we just, we just don't have them conversations. I think patriarchy has kind of really... I don't know it's just it I feel like women we're we're so open and we're so open to talk about literally most things mm. if but again it's like when you when it comes to this area here yeah we're very reluctant to kind of delve for some yeah. reason because I don't know like you're you're kind of always um taught there's something that you keep to yourself and it's private yeah. and it's you know and Yes, it, it is sacred and it is all those things, but it still actually has a voice too. Yeah, Do you definitely. know what I mean? Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think it's been quite interesting as well. So the research that I've been doing through university has been on FGM, so female genital mutilation. Um, And I think researching that and looking at the comparisons of kind of like Western cultural practices of like labiaplasty and like design of vaginas Mm -hmm. and vajazzles and all of these things that women kind of dip into has really kind of opened my eyes of how much we can learn to hate our bodies the way they are. Yeah. You know, why would you go and get part of your labia chopped off? Because... It doesn't look like... It doesn't look like what it does in porn films. Porn videos, yeah. And that is Mm. literally what it is. Mm. Like, you know, it, it looks a bit bigger or there's one side longer than the other and all of a sudden you're embarking on plastic surgery that changes your mm. life. Um, and, you know, some women will do that and that's absolutely fine. It's their choice and you have to talk about choice mm. and stuff like that. But also, how much of a choice is it if we're constantly being bombarded with these images of you're not worthy, you're not right, your yeah. body's not, you know, right, just because it doesn't look a certain mm. way. And especially, like, even after childbirth, it can change as well. Yeah. So, FGM. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about it. Um, so... For anyone that doesn't know what FGM is. Yeah, FGM, female genital mutilation. Um, it's also known as circumcision and cutting. And there's three to four different types um, generally practised. Um, in the UK, it affects around 60,000 women and girls. How many? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Around 60,000... So where are these women typically from? Um, they're typically from the kind of Horn of Africa, but also kind of like West Africa. Um, the Philippines and Indonesia practice FGM as well. Oh, wow. okay. um, and across the Middle East, um, Iraqi Kurdistan. Oh, there's wow. There's quite a lot of countries. So what... Historically then, mm-hmm. where... How did this all start? Where did it come from? It's believed that it started in Egypt um, because they found it in some of the mummies that they'd been sutured up. So cut off and sutured up, which is type 3 FGM. But I really struggle with the idea that they they did that, they practised that whilst they were still alive. I don't know if it was a process that they did during the mummification oh, process see. Okay. and then that's kind of been adapted and kind of someone got it wrong someone got it wrong because mm-hmm. if you look at um kind of old um egyptian kind of like texts they talk a lot about sex and how sex can take you to other realms mm-hmm. and it's quite like mm-hmm. spiritually practiced i can't see why they would then cut off women's like most sensitive parts and stitch them up completely it doesn't the two don't kind of yeah, really go together um so it's mainly done for sexual control but there are other reasons given so it can be done for religious practices even though it's not in any religious text it can be done for cultural reasons um there's quite a lot of kind of myths surrounding it for the reasons it's done but majority of it is to reduce women's sexual pleasure so so okay so when it's been undertaken they knowingly because you know like not that I agree or understand but when people do things from a religious perspective it's like okay you're doing it from a religious perspective but then if it's not mm-hmm. so so what I guess what I'm trying to get at is so they know that it reduces sexual pleasure yeah and they're okay with that yeah and it's fine yeah 
your sexual pleasure should be reduced. Why? Yeah. Because they believe... Well, I say they believe. I can't... I shouldn't even use a sweeping statement like they believe because it's completely different across different countries mm-hmm. and different tribes. But the kind of research shows the majority of people believe that women's sexual drive is so high that men can't keep up with it. So they really? should reduce women's sexual appetite and that way it will stop them from being promiscuous with other men and stop them from cheating. That's interesting. Yeah. Because obviously the way it's painted in the Western world is that the men are like yeah. the ones that can't control themselves and yeah. the women are the kind of... Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's quite a big kind of difference between women that have had it done and women that haven't in the way that they can be treated by men but it's it's really changing as well so a lot of the women that I interviewed in my research a lot of the women said that the men don't want FGM now and they're now sleeping with women that haven't had it and from different cultures as well that haven't had it so Mm, now now they don't want it because it's now affecting their ego that their women aren't sexually satisfied or that their women don't want to have sex anyway and they can't understand that they don't want to have sex because they've been through all this trauma and it's actually really painful. Oh, goodness me. So, yeah, I think that that work kind of linked into the work that I was doing anyway mm. and the kind of... Um, I just can't imagine having that amount of trauma because it's a completely... It's a different type of trauma, isn't well, it? Yeah. It's, so what kind... What ages would they do that from it can be done from birth right up until marriage some tribes practice it after marriage once they've once they've given birth it's it varies so much but a lot of the time it's around seven or eight years of age so before puberty so it's not so it's not kind of reserved for like maybe the eldest girl in the family it's just all women mm-hmm I just, I know, I, I just find that really odd that for something that is so traumatic and painful that, I don't know, God, I don't know, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that, I guess it works, if it's a cultural thing, there's no escape, is there? No. No. So the the 60,000 people that are here yeah because obviously FGM is illegal yeah so who who's actually undertaking these mini ops then so I spoke to two two girls when I did my interviews so this would have it was two or three years ago that I actually carried out the the research interviews Mm -hmm. and they were 20 one was 21 and one was 19 at the time one Mm -hmm. from Somalia and one from Sudan they were born in the UK and taken abroad and had it done abroad and then brought back. It usually happens like over the summer holidays because then they've got like six weeks to so recover and heal. But it's getting so expensive with flights and stuff that they're now kind of... There's now evidence that... Because it's usually women that are the cut... Like they call them cutters. It's usually the women that do the cutting. They're now flying them over to the UK and then doing a few families at the same time and they'll just all pay for that person's flight over. Oh my God. And the UK is seen as such a soft country in the whole of Europe. So France have had 100 prosecutions with FGM. Oh, fantastic. Mm, We've had a law against FGM 
it it changed in 2003 but we've had like an fgm act um, mm-hmm. previously as well but it, the main one is 2003 and we still haven't had any prosecutions no prosecutions no there's been no prosecutions How? but there's evidence that girls are being uh, are having fgm done so oh, okay so what can we do it's again education I think it always comes back so we need to keep having these conversations there's a lot of work going on in primary schools so it needs to happen from as young as kind of like four five Mm -hmm. six um and just being done in an age-appropriate way really sensitive as well so is there any reason then like for example male circumcision Mm -hmm. um because I covered that in my radio show probably about two or three months ago um now, male circumcision, from all the research I did, again, you know, there was, there's evidence to suggest that it started off in ancient Egypt. Yeah. Um, but it was a custom that they believed probably was more um, for, like, the high priests. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, uh, something that they had to do to kind of, I guess, raise their status, yeah. their holy status. Um, and then from there, um, male circumcision kind of spread, you know, throughout, you know, um, Africa into the Middle East, then it's made its way to the West, yeah. kind of thing. In America, in America, it's very, very big, mm. um, for no particular reason either, because yeah. it's not like you know, because um, Christianity doesn't condone circumcision. No, and you know, the US, you might as well say, is a Christian, you know, continent. You might as well say, yeah. pretty much. So there's a whole movement over there about mm-hmm. male circumcision, and um, there's hashtag called I did not consent now what I find interesting is that male circumcision has managed to kind of almost spread worldwide outside of probably Asia maybe so how so so I'm just wondering why has female circumcision kind of Mm. stayed more there well how how comes it's not trickled into Western society, like male circumcision has then? We used to practice FGM in the 1800s um, with women in the UK. No way! Yeah, so if a woman was caught masturbating or if she was seen as to be a bit delirious or had any kind of mental mental health issues, they used to practice FGM. So removal of the clitoris was kind of like a standard procedure for women that had any of those kind of... What would you say, kind of non-obedient behaviours or kind of like out of the box a little bit mm-hmm. behaviours, then removal of the clitoris would happen just as a general procedure. And the same in America as well, and then it stopped. Um, and it was kind of focused on different countries. But even with that, I think you f- you think FGM and you often think of Africa and mm. think that it only happens there. And it, it doesn't happen just there, it happens in so many other places as well. And I think a lot of the British media and British government have done that on purpose. Like, it happens in African countries. It's an African problem. It's a black woman's problem. It's... Well, to be honest, until you... I did not know about the Philippines and Indonesia. I literally... I thought, yeah, yeah. that it was like a... You know, that kind of belt of Africa from, like, the West across all the way to, like, the Sudan. And that... Yeah. I didn't realise. Yeah. So I think even that in itself, the way that... the the kind of UK and other countries have framed it mm. you know we need to if we think about intersectionality and different approaches we need to mm. really consider why is it always framed 
as an issue to you know it's that's a black woman's issue we don't need to deal with that is kind of like the way they framed it when actually it happens to loads of different women and we can't keep stigmatizing communities and yeah so okay so but i guess is it because maybe the rates in the uk are maybe more african women than anyone else i don't know if it would be because we have a massive kind of like kurdish community over here as well now so i don't know if it is if it is just that okay so simple so would you say then that um whilst you're doing your research there was like a kind of equal balance of different nationalities yeah yeah definitely wow and the i guess the only the the only thing with that is that communities from say like somalia because it was there was a lot of women that were from somalia and gambia and sierra leone Mm -hmm. because they had other networks in place and other community groups and community settings it was a a little bit easier to talk to them about this because they had work done before it was kind of aware in their communities with kurdish communities it was completely shut down like it was so difficult to even have a conversation with women about it um but the men would talk to you about it which is really interesting that the men would quite openly say that they didn't agree with it and that they didn't like it um they didn't like the fact that their women didn't want to have sex with them um i don't know this just doesn't it just doesn't make sense though does it so you're you're circumcising women to make them not want sex and then they get married and want them to enjoy and sex. And they want them to enjoy sex. Yeah. Do they so do they think that through marriage that is when their sexual pleasure will increase? Is that what they believe? I think there there's a misconception about sexual pleasure and sexual desire. So they mm-hmm. think that this sexual hunger of women and sexual desire is held in the clitoris and if you cut that off then you know, then that'll be fine and they won't have that drive for sex anymore, but they'll still get pleasure and they, they've not kind of... There's some miseducation around the clitoris and pleasure and all of that kind of stuff that's not fully understood in some communities. My thing is, is that this has been going on for so long that surely somebody would have... Yeah, I think you have with a lot of the kind of like outreach programs and mm. kind of grassroots programs that have been going on they don't talk about sex because they know that it will just get completely kind of shut down by communities so they take more of a human rights and body right, body okay. approach so it's more about the body and about health as opposed to sexual pleasure and women's kind of like rights in that mm-hmm. sense so the approach to the topic has been very different so okay just excuse my ignorance then so you know how you and I have sat down and we've kind of just spoken quite openly, but mm-hmm. I guess we're in a position to do so. Mm-hmm. So then these women, um, I guess sex isn't a conversation that they would have amongst each other. Mm, not from the women that I came across. It was when I'd asked them, have you spoke to your, like, your mother or your sisters about FGM and about mm-hmm. how that's impacted your sex life? They never even discussed it with their closest family members. Oh, wow. I'm not saying that happens with all women. There mm. must be women that do talk about it. And there's been loads of kind of like 
activism and stuff from women that have had it done as well so there's definitely that kind of side to it as well but there is definitely more women that don't talk about it even amongst themselves so do you think it's kind of just got to a point where or they get to a point where it's just like as women they just kind of feel like well um we're not supposed to enjoy sex mm-hmm. and yeah well yeah and i think even some western women feel like that you know some western women feel like they're not meant to enjoy sex because they've got all of these kind of stereotypes of Mm. you can't enjoy sex if you're not in a relationship or if you're not married or you know there's still a lot of stigma you're still a a slut or or this or that Mm. if you enjoy sex out of those norms so even in a country that's so liberated as ours we still struggle to have these conversations that is very true because as much as you know we might feel like in the media things are very sexualized yeah. i think that i think sometimes that can actually push some people in the other direction yeah yeah wow. yeah that's you i've come across um there was a bbc hard talk show and they had two women on there one of them that was kind of advocating for fgm and one of them that was saying you know she she didn't agree with it at all and the one that was advocating for it had said you know i'm not just a sexual piece of meat that has to enjoy sex there's more to me than just sex so she had fgm done when she was i think she said she was 21 i could be wrong with that though but she was in college she'd had sex before then she went and had fgm and then she carried on having sex afterwards and she said that fgm didn't impact her sex life at all oh really yeah she said that it didn't it's not impacted it at all she's still completely happy and fine. so if it didn't impact it then why was it done yeah then it's i think from her point of view it was like an initiation into womanhood but even that brings up so many different questions of like what is womanhood and why would you have a practice that takes away something of your body Body, yeah yeah wow because most of the women that i interviewed spoke of not feeling like complete women or not feeling like whole because something was missing Mm -hmm. and it kind of made me think how much emphasis they'd put on like the clitoris or just being whole down there and how we don't even think, think about, about that it, no it's, it's, it just is isn't yeah. it? yeah and then you've got women that think about cutting parts off because they don't feel like they cosmetically look the way they mm. do in kind of like western porn videos and stuff like that yeah. it's like yeah it's completely different ends of the spectrum so for for women who um so for women who have been affected by FGM yeah what are the resources out there for them there are quite a lot of resources there's uh, I'm trying to think of the name i might have to send the name to you afterwards for you yeah, to put that's on fine, yeah. um but there's quite a lot of work Layla Hussein has done loads mm-hmm. of work and i think it might be called the Dahlia project but she does counselling specifically with women that have had FGM. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a lot of resources there. Um, okay. 28 Too Many is another site as well that's got loads of kind of resources and information on as okay. well. So. Wow. Okay. Wow. Gosh. I don't know, did you see the film um, Desert Flower? No. There was a film, um, I'm going to say her name wrong, I know I am. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, she was a famous model and she 
did a film called The Desert Flower and she'd had FGM done when she was younger and then in this film she kind of talks about her relationship and all of that kind of stuff and how it had broke down and talks about FGM and how the first time she'd met a Western woman and was really intrigued to look at her vagina and see what it mm-hmm. looked like because she just had no idea that hers was completely different. And wow. it's a really, really good film. It's really moving and kind of, if you're not aware of FGM, it kind of opens you up to it, um, to understanding bits of it. So surely, I mean, a lot of women must kind of like die through the practice as well, surely, yeah. through infections and... Yeah, I think it's be- becoming a lot more medicalised now, so either being done in hospitals or... Oh, I see. Yeah, being done with kind of like antibiotics and stuff, making sure it's sterile. So doctors are actually... Because I just assumed that this was a bit like... You know, like, obviously with Jewish people, they have like a rabbi that would just yeah. come over and, you know, do it. Yeah. Now, obviously, I know like in the UK particularly, we have like clinics... I guess so maybe it's the same, but I just... Yeah. It's the same in some some African countries. So if you're in kind of like the village, it's probably done more by a local practitioner, like a local circumciser, mm. who often midwives as well, but not always. But if you live more in the cities, it might be that you go to the hospital and have it done there. It's only just become illegal in some of those countries as well. So it's not even illegal in all of the countries. Do you know what I can't get my head around? It's like, like for example, so over here, you you can't just go to your GP. It'd have to be like for a medical reason for your child to be circumcised yeah. or, you know, as a man, maybe there's an issue or an infection or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you're telling me that this is done in hospitals and a doctor then. Yeah. Not in the UK. Not in the UK, yeah, yeah no, but doctor. Do- doctors medically trained doctors so whether they were trained in mm-hmm. the country that they're doing it or if they were trained in europe yeah there were yeah because it doesn't educated people carrying out these procedures mm-hmm. yeah and it doesn't affect social class or doesn't matter how much money you've got like it still happens to women within those cultural groups so even if they they are really well educated doctors teachers lawyers it still happens because it's so strongly grounded in culture. It still continues. But it might be medicalised, so it, the experiences might be quite different. Yeah, sorry, I'm just... Sorry, guys, I'm just a bit flabbergasted. I'm just a bit like... Because I just had no idea. I, mm. I literally just thought it was like, oh, a little woman or man to come and do it. They're actually doing this in hospitals. Yeah. And women are often re-stitched up after birth as well. So if they're infibulated, which is type 3, where they're stitched completely and just left with a small hole to pass blood and urine from, once they've given birth, they'll obviously be opened up and then they can be re-infibulated again. And that can happen time and time and time again after each child. So sometimes, again, it's going back to what I said, like the trauma doesn't just stop with the one event. Sometimes it's continual. Oh my god, so... This is the reaction I get when people ask me, what did you do for your dissertation, for your PhD? And this is normally my over ha- food. My, 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 my head is in my hands because I just feel really stressed right now. <sighs> well, there's, there is a lot of work going on, campaigning and education and grassroots movements and women that have had it done and have spoke out and use their voice to protect younger generations there's a lot of work going on to stop it Mm -hmm. so 
hopefully within a couple of like generations it should be completely wiped out I mean we can't wait for generations like we need this to be done now now yeah definitely okay so who do we need to kill I don't know <laughs> <laughs> we need to kill all the doctors we need to kill all the people no okay can't kill them oh my god that <sighs> okay Hmm. Wow. I knew you were coming here to teach me something. <laughs> I just knew. I knew you, there was I knew you weren't gonna leave here about me learning something new. Oh my god. Wow. Love laid bare. Okay, so we're gonna um wrap up the conversation now. Um how was it for you, Paris? It was good. I feel like I've released even more, like just through talking to you about it. So oh, really? It's been, oh, yeah, good. It's good, really good. good. Um, I do want to thank Paris uh, a lot. I mean, the fact that you know you came down all the way from Leicester yeah. to kind of, you know, come and sit down <laughs> and talk to me on Lovely Bear, um, but also kind of like your willingness to kind of because we've covered quite a few things mm. today, and you know, initially you were kind of just kind of kind of coming down to talk about kind of sexual harassment yeah. and stuff like that and you know we've 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 covered you know what happened to you personally you know you know your therapies that you went through and yeah. then we've even gone on to fgm yeah. as well so i feel like it's been a very like um i can't box this one yeah you whistle know. stop tour of different things yeah you know <laughs> that I've, i feel like this is a very um it's like a very it's, it's like a women's yeah um episode actually so um, I don't know how I'm going to title this one, actually. I have to get some suggestions from followers. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. But no, Paris, thank you so much. Thank and, you. you know, you are always welcome to come back. Okay, so Paris, so if we want to follow you, where can we follow you on the socials? I am on Instagram as the woman I am and on Twitter as Paris Connolly, I believe. Connolly, yeah. Okay. Do you want people to follow you on Twitter? Um, yeah, Twitter's fine. I don't really tweet that much. I'm not a big tweeter. But okay. um, yeah, Twitter's more kind of like FGM stuff, PhD stuff, work stuff. And then Instagram's more kind of like healing and kind of like fun, crazy stuff. Okay, cool. But Paris, again, thank you so thank much. Thank you it's for having me. It's been an absolute honour. Honestly, guys, please check out her Insta page. Um, tell us the at again. Uh, the Woman I Am. The Woman I Am. Really, really good page, like... Honestly, if I could repost all of my stuff <laughs> on my story, I would. Oh, um, but yes, you. thank you so much. Um, guys, again, you can um, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And it's Lovely Bear. Um, the website is www.lovelybear.com. Um, if you, you know, are affected by anything we've spoken about, I will be listing um, some support services on the resources page. So whether it be for, you know, um, rape, FGM... What else did we speak about today? Sexual harassment. Sexual harassment. Um, there was a, there's a book that you're going to tell me about. Yeah, The Embodiment and Trauma. The Embodiment Trauma. I'll list that once I get the information from Paris as well. Um, so yeah, if you even just want to have a chat with me, guys, the email address is lovelybear at gmail.com. So just send me a message if you'd like to have a little talk. Take care of yourselves. And I love you guys. Thank you for your support. All right, night. Bye. Love. And it's a wrap. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bear.
blade. blade. 